We're in the middle of a subject study through the book of Proverbs. Wisdom from heaven for life on earth. This is part seven. And tonight, I want to look at the subject of wealth. Wealth and the way of wisdom. And and there's a good reason for focusing our attention on the subject of wealth and giving it a full study. The reason for that is the book of Proverbs, as we've started to unpack a number of different subjects, it's all about uh, the keeping of the heart. A heart rightly aligned with God, a heart full of wisdom, uh, a heart that's growing in wisdom, and the way of God as it gets unfolded in our lives right here and now. And Jesus said that the uh, stature, the health, the condition of my heart and yours was, was tied to one thing very particularly. In Matthew 6, 20 and 21, he said, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rost, yeah, rost, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Do that. Why? Well, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we see here the importance of our, our wealth. It doesn't just accumulate in our wallets or in our investments or in our bank accounts. It doesn't just accumulate. It actually uh, draws. It, it, it's, it's, it's magnetic. It actually steers our heart. It shapes our heart. This is true whether you lay it up in heaven or whether you lay it up on earth. But either way, for good or for bad, your, your heart follows your wealth. Please don't misread Jesus' words. Jesus' words get misread in almost every church in every misread in almost every church in North America. The average Christian reads these words, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. They read those words, and what they see there is um, the important thing is to have wealth and treasure Christ more. And I would like to submit to you that it says no such thing. It doesn't say, it doesn't say you can have treasure here and treasure Christ more. What it says is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, you can't help it. If you lay up a great deal of wealth here on earth, you can't love Jesus more. Because your heart will be drawn toward your treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Heart follows treasure. Treasure doesn't follow heart. Heart follows treasure. They're very biting words from Jesus. So wealth and the way of wisdom. The Bible also says, get away from the book of Proverbs and you'll see the same thing, that that we all will face uh, dangers and temptations of all kinds when it comes to money. 
1 Timothy 6.10, for the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this, look at this word, it is through this craving. Do you see what wealth does to our hearts? Like, like a person trying to quit smoking cigarettes. Craving. It is through this craving that some have wandered. They don't reject Jesus. They, they wander away from him. Why? There's, there's a craving. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. They've pierced themselves through with many pangs. We're going to have World Impact Sunday soon. And we're going to have to raise a lot of money. The reason we do it isn't for the missionaries. Do we all understand that? The reason we do it is, is for us. We, we, we take our treasure and we lay it up somewhere so that we pull our hearts in a good direction. It's heart health. That's what we're doing here on November 15th. Heart health. So money quickly becomes this object of devotion. It causes people to wander away from the faith. It draws our hearts, Jesus said, away from eternal things. God's word says that not thinking about our wealth. Don't just think about somebody in the church that you think has a lot of money. Our wealth. My wealth, your wealth. That, that not watching very carefully how it gets tentacles around my heart. If you don't watch it very carefully, that's what wealth does. It does it to everybody. It does it to everybody. So in view of all this, I started off saying, here's why the subject of wealth deserves a full study in the book of Proverbs. And the Proverbs has a lot to say about it. We'll go through some points together tonight. First, riches are not a reliable refuge in which to place our trust. That's 1128. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever trusts in his riches, where your treasure is, your heart will be, it's, it's, it's a tendency to trust in riches. I have that tendency. You have that tendency. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish. So it's two F words. Fall, flourish. Fall, flourish. And... and each is tied to this issue of personal wealth. Notice, it's not the lack of wealth that causes the fall. It's not the loss of wealth that brings about this fall. It's wealth accumulated for itself. It, it, it draws our hearts, and if you lean too much on wealth for security and contentment, you will find it unable to hold you up. It's part of what Jesus called the deceitfulness of riches. It looks, it's like, it's, it's like a structure that looks stronger than it really is. If you put your full weight on it, it'll collapse. Wealth has apparent security and apparent power. You and I aren't the first ones to face this temptation 
it looks as though more money will solve all your problems, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes 10.19. Bread is made for laughter. Wine gladdens life. Money answers everything. Yes, sir. There it is. And we are bombarded every day with the myth that money is the answer to everything. And so, first lesson up front. If you want to progress down the path of wisdom that we've been outlining from Proverbs these seven weeks, you'll have to see the the foolishness and the emptiness of relying on wealth to fulfill your heart. It looks like it will, but it won't. One of my earliest remembrances in uh, coming to Newmarket in Uh, on September 25th, 1982. And one of the first things I remember was I came to the church and Bob Doggart drove by the church and he just kind of a welcome and coffee kind of thing and he came by and I don't know how the conversation came up but, but he was talking with my dad about something to do with money. And I was just listening. And, and Bob said a lesson he never forgot. They had just been married, I guess, he and Dorothy, and he was in an apartment, and the very first thing he did, he was so excited because he went out and he bought a new area rug. It wouldn't even be a carpet. It would be a, a rug that they had saved up for, put it down in this apartment. And they walked into the apartment, he and Dorothy, and he looked at the floor, and he saw the new carpet, and he said, well, didn't change our life, did it? <laughs> That's wealth. It's wealth. It's what it does. It makes you think it's going to change your life. It makes you think it's going to brighten it and solve your problems and make you happy. B. Riches are fleeting and they're temporary. Here are another of the limitations. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, It's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And all God's people said, We all know the truth of those words in one sense. Uh, Anyone who pays bills knows that money seems to go out much easier than it comes in. But that's not the only point of these verses. Even if you have a great deal of money, even if you have enough to cover every bill you will ever encounter and still have wealth left over, your possession of wealth is fleeting. That's because, as we've been studying in the book of James Sunday morning, your life is a what? It's a vapor. It's a vapor. And wealth can't fix that. Other passages make the same point. Job one twenty one. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And you'll take the same amount out of this world. First Timothy six seven, we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. You came into the world without a shirt on your back, and you will leave with Nothing much more. In the time between when you arrive and when you leave, you will steward some wealth, some more than others. 
but only for a brief period. You, you can't keep it. You can't keep it. Earthly riches are a poor place to deposit your trust and your affection. C, another limitation. Riches can't buy salvation and eternal life. 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. It's the same point Jesus made when he asked one of his most penetrating questions in Mark 8, 36 and 37. What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? I mean, nothing could more show the uselessness of wealth than its inability to purchase spiritual life. The wealth of the whole world isn't enough to redeem one soul. We've seen in limited ways how, how money can be worthless in different situations. You ever try purchasing food in Canada with Zimbabwe dollars? Or you ever try buy something at the bay with a Russian ruble? We all know how currency can turn useless at times. These are just small pictures of the uselessness of wealth to take the place of God in the heart. It's not a bad idea, you know. Murray was telling me that in Zimbabwe, every bill, you can, by the way, you can get a $1 trillion bill. You couldn't go out for dinner with it. But you can get a $1 trillion bill. And you know what's at the bottom? It's not fake money, real money. You know what's at the bottom of every Zimbabwe bill? An expiry date. True. He showed me. It's printed right on there. Currency valid until, and it'll say July 15th, 2017. And you can have a hundred zillion of them. And on July 16th, you, you, you can throw them in the fireplace. They're just paper. It's actually not a bad way to teach us the value of wealth, you know. Proverbs talks about how wealth should be earned. Point number two. Talk about this just a little bit. Money should never be collected as the fruit of wickedness, injustice. Proverbs 21.6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. 22.16, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich like as a way of buying favor will only come to poverty. 28.8, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous with the poor. Let me talk about those three verses together. They they're a sampling from Proverbs narrowing the options for how righteous people can gain wealth. And the rule, starting out with the first verse, working to the third, dishonesty and deceitfulness in my dealings with others for personal profit. Even if you get away with it. Cruelty to others who may not have the power or advantages that I possess. Greed with a brother or friend whom I shouldn't put over a barrel just because he may be desperate enough to agree to my selfish terms of financing. 
The emphasis in each case is God himself takes a keen interest not only in how much money I have or how much money I give, but how I got that money in the first place that interests God. In the long run, the writer of Proverbs says, God will not allow unjust people to find lasting happiness and contentment with their wealth. Oh, I know, I know. You can look around. There are all sorts of people who seem to get away with it. All wrongs will be exposed and made right at the final judgment. And the Bible never leaves that reckoning out of the picture the way the church frequently does. Here's something else that Proverbs says about how money is gotten. Wealth is to be earned by work. 13.11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So wealth is knit tightly to labor in, in the scriptures. Dishonesty or fraud that has its root in laziness, people who want wealth without working for it. Wealth is linked to labor, so we won't be spoiled by our wealth. This doesn't just happen to teenagers, by the way. Easy money destroys character. And it feeds immaturity. This is the Christian argument against things like uh, lottery. By the way, let me spare you the, the question that I'm, I'm actually getting bored with. Let me spare you the question. People always come up and think they're being very witty and clever, and they'll say, well, Pastor Don, if I won the $50 million lottery, would you take my tithe? And just so you know, my answer is always the same. Of course I will. The devil had that money long enough. Give me all of it. We'll use it for missions. Three, the wise person will avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Proverbs 28, verses 20 to 22. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Nothing shows Where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. Nothing shows the perverse power that money has over our hearts. Nothing reveals it more than the desire to have it quickly and easily. The popularity of of, of casinos and lotteries. This is how governments tap into their greatest resource. The taxation of human stupidity. That is how human stupidity is taxed. This impatience for wealth. It shows how devoted individuals are to it. And it reveals the hunger of our hearts for riches. And the writer of Proverbs just cautions us. Cautions all of us and says, The hunger for quick wealth can blind sound judgment and good reason even in the brightest minds. 
So there, that's point two, what the writer of Proverbs says about making money, earning money, how we get our wealth. Point number three, how we use money, how wise people use their money. A, wise people honor God with their wealth before they do anything else. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Why do the scriptures teach this principle of first fruits? The first of all the produce. What does this practice mean and why is it so important to God? And I want to do just a quick fly back in time. Just take a minute. The inception of this practice comes from Exodus 13, 11 and 12, and I'll read verse 14 too. God speaks and says, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb, all the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So this is what the writer of Proverbs is picking up on. He sees some kind of eternal principle bound up within this law of offering the first fruits to the Lord. Honoring the Lord with the first of all your income celebrates his deliverance of your life through redemption. That's Exodus 13, 14. And when in time to come your son asks you, why do you do this? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. So the offering of the first of my income shows that I understand that my whole life, not just my soul, but my whole life has been redeemed and brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Offering the first fruits of my income shows that I am grateful to the Lord for the freedom and joy he has given me, the hope of eternal life. Secondly, Honoring the Lord with the first fruits of my income shows I understand my whole life has now come under new ownership through redemption. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your, in your body. And that... That giving of the first shows that the first thing I understand about my material existence is that I'm not self-sufficient. Three, honoring the Lord with the first fruits of my income acknowledges my trust in the Lord's provision for all my future needs. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce and then your barns will be filled with plenty your vats will be bursting with wine. So the very nature of the gift forces faith. 
If I give to the Lord after I have already met all my other financial obligations, there is nothing in the nature of the gift that fosters trust in the Lord. God isn't broke. This is how he creates trust in our hearts. Because he calls for the first of my income, my giving speaks of my trust in God's ability to provide for me after I have honored him with my wealth. This is not a give God a hundred bucks and he gives you a thousand back. Okay, I don't have snake oil to sell you or, or anything else. But the principle is, you demonstrate your trust in God's provision when you put him first with your material resources. B, wise people are generous with those in need. Proverbs, 4, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. This is this, this, is this huge theme in the scriptures. You could just pile up texts, Old Testament, New Testament, but just this one will make the point. Because God is Lord over all that is, he watches over the response of the rich toward those who are in need. He watches that. I know that gets abused in a lot of word faith kind of teachings, but still it is True nonetheless that God promises to prosper the one who is generous with the needs of others. And Jesus said, I won't take the time to read it. Do you have that reference, Matthew 25, 41 to 46? Yeah. He, he, He makes the point that one day he will ask me. How many hungry did I feed? How many naked did I clothe? That that'll be a question. That he's interested in that. That he cares about it. C. The wise person knows that even if he has much money, it it is still sinful to waste it selfishly and foolishly. Proverbs 23, 19 to 21. Hear, my son, and be wise. And direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards and among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. It's a verse that deals with more than just drunkenness and gluttony. The principle there is is don't... um, Don't assume just because something is affordable that you can do it. It's it's overindulgence. These are two examples that are the most obvious. Overindulgence simply because I have the means to do so. Everything I do is to reflect his glory and his purpose. What I should do with my wealth isn't dictated merely by what I am able to afford. And so, in these verses, drunkenness, gluttony, are very 
common examples of wasted wealth. Oh, how we need in the body of Christ in North America. Oh, how we need to fight the myth that lifestyle is meant to always rise to the level of income. The myth that lifestyle is always meant to rise to the level of income. To live a certain way just because I know I can afford to is to function like an atheist. To live a certain way just because I know I can afford to is to function like an atheist. You see, when you don't have any wealth, it's, it's very easy to think you're righteous because you don't spend it on this and this and this and this like everyone else does. But the only reason you don't is because you don't have the money. That's not necessarily righteousness. But there is no greater test of the lordship of Jesus than this. What you do when you have enough wealth to do whatever you want. The greatest test of the lordship of Jesus is what you do when you have enough wealth to do whatever you want. Then does the wealth decide how I live or does Jesus still decide? Did everybody get what I'm saying? And so for all of us who are, globally, we're the wealthy ones. Just so you know. You might not feel like it tonight, but globally, we're, we're, we're the wealthy ones. And it might well be that the greatest challenge facing the North American church, the greatest challenge facing the North American church is, is the fact that most Christians in North America in the church of Jesus Christ can do mostly whatever they want. And the tendency is for all of us that our lifestyle rises constantly keeping up, constantly keeping up with our income. And what, what we're learning tonight from the book of Proverbs is the challenge is to, is to not have your heart follow the accumulation of our earthly treasure. To still live as though Jesus is Lord, even though we have enough wealth to do all sorts of things that ought not to be our greatest priority. A wise person, D, will not sacrifice higher priorities in the pursuit of wealth. 22, 1 and 2, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Why is a good reputation more valuable? And it has nothing to do with just, well, self-esteem and a good self-image. What it has to do with is a good reputation and my character is a greater revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ than a great deal of money. And in terms of reaching this world, what people want to see is they want to see the heart of Jesus in his church. 
And so the writer says, don't compromise that while you're pursuing material gain. I hope I don't have to say, the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to have more money now than you used to. What the Bible does say is, be very careful. Be very careful. Let Jesus be Lord of your treasure. And in that way, you will keep your heart. Everyone said? Lighten up, Pastor Don. That's what they all said. Okay. Let's pray together.